0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News, also the co-host of the Down the Stretch show with the legendary Dave Johnson on Sirius XM Radio.
2: I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports, uh, sidekick Lucy, fast asleep in the background.
0: Zoe Cabin with First Racing and XB TV. I am still at Keeneland. This is the longest sale ever. If you look over my shoulder, there's no dog. But right now we're Tuesday and they are on hip number 241, no, 2,491 that just got sold. So we're a little way over halfway through. Can you believe that? It is the biggest horse sale in the world. It is insane.
1: Actually, we're going to come back to that subject a little later, (laughs) because Zoe is our resident expert on the Keeneland sale, and she's going to tell you (laughs) everything that's going on. Also, I want to remind you that this week and every week, we're proud to be brought to you by Keeneland, and uh, we always recognize the great racing and the great sales that they have. So the story on the racetrack over the weekend... Charlie Appleby was only two for three. What's going on? He's in a slump, guys. <laughs> but, I mean, this is so remarkable what this trainer has done with his shippers coming in to North America. He ran three horses over the weekend, the Jockey Club Oaks at uh, Belmont and Aqueduct. He won with Eternal Hope. He was third in the Talmud with Dazzling, Stars, Dazzling Star. But I thought the big story is what he did in the Woodbine Mile with Master of the Seas. A lot of stats to throw out there. But how about this? In his career, he is 8 for 11 at Woodbine. All eight wins have come in grade one stakes. And he just has this knack for knowing exactly which horses to bring and which horses to put them in. And the thing is, remarkable about Master of the Seas, he was plan B, Randy. This was supposed to be Modern Games coming back to this race, winning and then going on to the Breeders' Cup mile. Modern Games got hurt and was retired in August. So he brings in one off the bench and it's Master of Seas. He wins, and he goes on now to the Breeders' Cup. He is, uh, since 2021, the last three years, Applebee is 21 for 50 in the United States and Canada combined. That's 42% winners. Just remarkable what he's done
2: and continues to do. It's absolutely amazing. The the entire Godolphin-Applebee stable, really, this year is on plan B. They're in a bit of flux because – They began this year with not only Modern Games, who a lot of people really didn't realize was a three-year-old last year when he won the Woodbine Mile and the Breeders' Cup Mile. So he was beginning his four-year-old season. They had a horse called Adyar, who they were bringing back as a five-year-old, who had won the Epsom Derby at three. Uh, They had Hurricane Lane, who had won the Irish Derby at three. And they were bringing him back this year as a five-year-old. He had only been beaten three-quarters of a length in the arc in 2021. They had a horse called Native Trail, who is a three-year-old, was narrowly beaten in the English 2,000 guineas, won the Irish 2,000 guineas, right? They had a horse in Australia uh, named Animo that's not Applebee, but it's a good often Nine Group One wins, $7 million in earnings. All of those horses, including Modern Games, had to be retired. During the calendar 2023 season, So it has been a year of complete upheaval for the Appleby slash Godolphin Stable, Uh, but they sure uh, landed on their feet on Saturday at Woodbine. Master of the Seas, even though the speed figure guys don't have his performance uh, quite as powerful as Modern Games was when he won the Woodbine Mile a year ago, they looked an awful lot alike, his race Saturday and Modern Games' race a year earlier. And right now, the way I look at it, you know, I, I think that uh, Master of the Seas uh, currently would have to be a relatively solid favorite in the early, uh, the early figuring uh, for the Breeders' Cup Mile again this year at Santa Anita. Randy, even over Casa Creed, I think so. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I th- Casa Creed is the best of the American milers. Uh, I don't think that the entire uh American mile turf division stacks up to what the Europeans would typically bring over and we saw an example of that with Master of the Seas on Saturday
0: and one thing that you know exactly what you're going to get when you come to Santa Anita and Charlie Appleby has been there numerous times his first Breeders Cup winner was at Santa Anita He knows you've got to bring a horse that can handle a tighter course. He knows you're going to get firm ground at Santa Anita most of the time, unless there's an absolute deluge, which, God, I hope not, but I I don't think that's going to happen. So he knows what kind of horses will fit on these American tracks. I tuned into the Godolphin homepage, and the headline there for Master of the Seas was Master of the Seas Grasps Grade 1 Victory with Woodbine Mile Demolition. They actually used the word demolition in print, and that is exactly what he did. In 2023, now these are the worldwide Godolphin stats, 433 wins worldwide. That's 737 runners, 19%. They've had 111 stakes wins, 111 worldwide, and 16 grade ones, just specifically from the Godolphin stable. I mean, those are some huge numbers they're throwing out. Charlie Appleby is a massive part of that. It's it's the juggernaut. It's not stopping. It's just getting stronger. Don't stand in front of it. You'll get run over.
1: Randy, as you mentioned, uh, this is not necessarily, at least from the beginning of the year, the A team. And looking at what's happened, um, and there's a small sample size, but there's been a few other races run in the uh, U.S. this year where Europeans showed their strength. And the one I always go back to is Bolshoi Ballet in the Sword Dancer, a grade one at Saratoga. He was coming off a sixth place finish at 125 to one in the King George and Queen Elizabeth Stakes. And he comes into Saratoga and wins one of our big grade one races. We know the European turf horses are better than the North American horses. I mean, they, that's that's their main racing. That's where all their stars run. But it seems to me that the gap between the two has is, is never been bigger um, you know, I'm not going to bet on any uh, non-European uh, horses, be they Appleby or uh, uh, Aidan O'Brien. I'm not going to try to beat these guys in the Breeders' Cup. I think they're
2: going wipe to the, wipe us out. I mean, the gap certainly hasn't shrunk and it may be widening. And you would think that, that the Americans would be at least partially catching up because turf racing has become more front and center in America than it was 25 years ago right more turf races are run better horses you think but then the Breeders Cup rolls around and that's when you really get to see uh, the best against the best obviously and lo and behold Europeans have now won 12 of the last 15 runnings of the Breeders Cup Turf four of the last five runnings of the Breeders Cup mile and five of the last seven runnings of the Philly and Mare Turf So the proof is in the stats. Uh, The Americans right now at the very top levels just don't compete with the Europeans as effectively on turf uh, as you think uh, they might. And the the rule of thumb has always been, I think, that if you look at European form and you see a group three winner in Europe, that they can win a grade two in America or a group two winner in Europe is a grade one caliber horse in America. Uh, sometimes it may even be more than that, Zoe.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can just look at some of the horses that Phil D'Amato is winning with. He's bringing horses over from Dundalk that were just winning maiden races in Dundalk. There isn't even like a class one track over there, and they're winning graded stakes. So it, it just goes to show you the quality that they're running against. You just need a horse with a little bit of a turn of foot. Bring it over here. They need to, especially in California, they need to like the top of the ground. You can't bring a soft ground horse over to California. And that may lessen the gap between the Euros and the American horses this year alone, having it at Santa Anita, is that it's going to be for firm ground horses. So some European horses may not come out because they don't like to feel the top of the ground. That could be the equalizer at Santa Anita. But yeah, you cannot argue against the stats. The Euros versus the Americans, they have to catch up soon because if you walk down Chad Brown's Shedro, almost at least a third of his horses are either a GB bred or an mm-hmm. Irish bred. They're all imports. So that there has to be a catch up at some point sooner rather than later
1: well we shall find out i think at least it's not going to happen this year um one of the big stories of the week and all, don't you love horses like this bango um you know he's not going out there winning grade ones every weekend uh but he won for the 11th time at churchill downs and they are calling it the most documented career wins uh tying a horse by the name of reddy's rocket who was around about 2012 in a starter allowance race. Abanga won the Louisville Thoroughbred Society Stakes. He's a six-year-old. Um, I don't want to rain on the parade too much because I don't want to take something away from this horse because it's really cool. But that's not a record of 11. Because back in 1940, there were horses that ran 75 times during their careers and probably made 50 starts at Churchill Downs. Somewhere along the line, somebody's won more than 11 um, races at Churchill Downs, but we just don't have that information. But having said that, I, I don't want to be uh, uh, the Grinch who stole Bango's um, Christmas uh, Day. Well, you're um, trying.
0: You're definitely uh, okay. trying. Right. It. Oh, it all back.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh,
0: my. I just wanted I to run bring on that. Stakes. <laughs> give him some credit. He's been running in stakes. It's not like he's, he's won nine stakes races. He's really cool. Yeah, it's not it. like That's he's winning right. five claimers. Sorry, he's guys. a stakes Never mind. Horse. Mind. <laughs> Be nice. Right.
1: Wow. My goodness.
0: <laughs> he's a stakes horse who's won 11 at Churchill Downs. That's not hard. That's hard to do. You got to give him some credit. Come on.
2: Oh, I give him a lot of credit. So <laughs> And credit also, a lot of credit goes to Greg Foley and his, uh, and his sons as well for the job that they've done with this horse. I mean, Foley has proven time and time again. He's one of the more underrated trainers on the Kentucky circuit. He doesn't get these, you know, million dollar yearlings and things like that. But the horses that he gets... He maximizes their potential. We saw it with, you know, Philly sprinters. We see it with Bango. 14 career wins for Bango. 11 at Churchill, uh, in case you're keeping track at home. He won one race at Turfway uh, on the synthetic surface very early in his career. Might have even been his maiden win. And then he won two at Ellis Park, including uh, most recently the Kelly's Landing stakes. But the Kelly's Landing was a race that was moved from Churchill to Arlington. So while he doesn't get credit for winning (laughs) at Churchill, it was a Churchill race that he won that happened to be run at Ellis Park. Okay, I take it all
1: back. He's a wonderful horse. And uh, in all seriousness, no, it's really cool. And we don't have enough horses like this out there that are these kind of blue-collar horses that you can really root for. And they just run. He just, every time out, he just runs his race. Um, So congratulations to Bango and the whole team over there for winning the Louisville Thoroughbred Society Stakes. Do
0: you want to remind you, and how could you not realize, the TDN Rice's Room is brought to you By Keeneland. The first week of the Keeneland September sale has concluded. Books one and two saw the sale of 37 figure yearlings. 30. That is a big, big number. Turnover through the first seven days stands at just 300. And $50 million. We'll talk more about the Keelan September sale, which continues through this coming Saturday. It's not over yet. That's September the 23rd, a little bit later in the show. But first entries are now being taken for the Keelan November breeding stock sale held this year, November the 8th through the 16th. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. A Keeneland. Horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense,
3: that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For
2: generations to come.
0: The Retired Racehorse Project's Thoroughbred Makeover is presented by the Thoroughbred Charities of America. It takes place at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, October the 11th through the 14th. The Thoroughbred Makeover will welcome 404 horses, including both recently retired racehorses, and for the very first time, guys, former broodmares. I looked up a couple of the former broodmare division, which I think is a fabulous brand new category, because there are too many Former broodmares just tossed to the wayside. This one's entered in the dressage section. Her name is Summer Chant. She's a 2012 model by Summer Bird. She's had a couple of folds already. Her last race was in 2015. Todd Pletcher had her. She won two of seven. Rebecca Jones from South Carolina is her listed trainer, and she is a Wertheimer homebred. She was actually sold at the Keeneland November sale, I think, last year for the upset price of $1,000, so good to see her get a soft landing. One more to mention, guys. In the eventing category, there's a horse called Ghost at Midnight. He is number 227 by Curlin out of Midnight Lucky. A few years ago, he was a $1.2 million yearling right here at Keeneland September, and he will go forward in the eventing segment. A really worthwhile thing they have going on there. You can look up more entries at rrp.org slash entries are pretty cool to see all these horses being entered don't you think guys
1: yeah that's that's just phenomenal and, and the industry deserves a lot of credit um for doing such a good job with this. All right, so Zoe, as I introduced you, you are a Keeneland September <laughs> expert here. Um Randy and I, I don't know about Randy, but you know, honestly, I don't pay that much attention to the sales. Um but it looks to me like the story kind of never changes. The the high end of the market is fantastic and the middle and lower end of the market. Eh. What were the big, Am I right about that?
0: Yeah, I mean they've made almost up to 350 million thus far um they're on par for last year the median dropped i think by 3.5 percent i will say one thing i went around and looked at book five horses i have never seen as many people here for book five that i have seen the last couple of days i think people got shut out in book four and they're staying for book five nobody's leaving i'm like what guys what are you still doing here just just go home right now. Riponi's guys are still on the grounds looking at horses. I mean, it's just been a terrific sale all around. The money for the top end horses is still gonna be there. I mean, you had a seven hundred thousand dollar uh good magic Colt sell yesterday to Tom Ryan in book four. That doesn't usually happen. Some of the first year size have been terrific. Vacoma. Um They're very, very nice, volatile, extremely nice. You got Game Winner, a son of Candy Ride. He sold, he had one sell for 275,000. So the first year sires are in demand through book four, five, and they will be through six. And you know, City of Light, hey guys, last year you couldn't give away a City of Light. And now they've come around full circle. So it's really been a terrific sale, not only for the buyers, but also for the sellers. Randy, where are you? I mean, why don't you come and buy a horse? (laughs) Come on, Randy. <laughs> Wait,
2: you was, know, it's really odd. That, and I've been in horse racing for a long time. Uh, but I'm always doing television shows around the, typically around the Keeneland September sale or the Keeneland April, whatever. I have never been to a Keeneland sale session. Really? Not one. Not one. Yeah. Well, come on.
0: What are you waiting for? Come
2: on, we'll buy your horse. <laughs> well, I won't have my hand right. in the air. I can guarantee you that.
0: Randy's well,
2: rabbit
1: Hole. Zoe, Christmas is on. Oh, my God, what a perfect name. Uh, so- we have to do it. Christmas is on its way. Maybe we'll surprise Randy with a little present underneath uh, his Christmas tree. Um, so uh, this week, Heisa came out with its report uh, looking into um, the, the situation at Churchill Downs where 12 horses died. Uh, unfortunately, around Kentucky Derby time, and then uh, racing had to be, they decided to move racing to uh, Ellis Park. Um, and one of the things that they uh, th- they came up with was that uh, this is verbatim: the data revealed the injured horses were more uh, were in more races per year in their career. So they're actually saying that you know is there a link to horses running more often and potential breakdowns? Now, the two of you should know how I. Respond to that. My head exploded when, when I saw this. I mean, thank you, Heisa, for doing the good work and everything like that. But two two things. First of all, you you can't possibly draw any conclusions like that looking into twelve horses. When unfortunately the the amount of horses that that uh, pass away each year is is much more than that. And I'll take another. I suppose so. By that line of thinking, let's take a look at Saratoga. And I hate to bring up bad subject, but I, I still want to mention this Maple Leaf Mel. Uh, passed away, was euthanized in her six lifetime starts, had four this year. The, the The gaps in between her races were 56 days, 50 days, and 28 days. New York Thunder, the other one who tragically passed away, and made five lifetime starts with the gaps in between 33 days, 84 days, 89, and 29. So if I look at the Churchill situation like Heiza did and apply it to these two horses, I'm coming to the conclusion that they didn't run enough, that there was too much time in between the race. And I don't want to make any light of this because it's an awful tragic situation, but, um, I, I just, can't, just don't believe for a minute that, you know, the, the horse is racing little more often than, than the average. If even that's the case has anything to do with this.
2: Really? It doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. I mean, I know there are obviously outliers and I think, uh, I think the letter mentioned that there are obviously some horses that are more, sturdy than others but all you have to do is look at how horses are being trained nowadays and how often they're being campaigned compared to how often they were campaigned even 25 30 years ago and you and you can tell and even from talking to trainers you can tell you know that they believe that today's horses are less durable slash more fragile than the horses of yesteryear I remember in the night, and this is 30 years ago, I was in the newspaper business, and I don't remember if it was in the aftermath of the Prairie Bayou breakdown in the Belmont Stakes, but I had been talking to trainers 30 years ago who told me that they thought horses were less durable. And I thought, who can I talk to for a newspaper column? Who would be the guy to call? I called Woody Stevens. And I said, Woody, do you think horses, today's horses are less durable than before? And he went on for 30 minutes talking about how horses 30 years ago were less fragile or more fragile today than they were back then. So, I mean, look, if, if trainers, you know, the day money the trainers make uh, that they bill owners for each day that they train a horse goes for the top it goes almost 100% to feeding horses, stable up, keep, paying salaries, things like that. Trainers make their money from purses, from winning races. And if trainers thought that they could run horses more often uh, and get the same results, they would. They would run horses more often and make more money for their owners. Their owners would make more money. But they don't feel like that's the case. And, And I think uh it's not brain surgery. It's not rocket science. When you look at the top stallions in America right now, go back the last 10 years, right? The stallion, uh, the end of the year stallion standings have been dominated by three stallions, Tappet, Candy Ride, and Into Mischief. They ran six times, six times, six times. You go back and look at the stallions of yesteryear in the 50s, 60s. Roundtable ran 66 times, Bold Ruler, 33, Prince Quillo, 33, Halo, 31, Bull Lee, 27. That's not a coincidence. And most of the stallions that we see right now dominating American racing were retired not because of, like, flight line reasons, but because they had injuries. They were hurt. And so it makes sense that these horses are now going to be passing on... uh, questionable durability uh to the horses that we see running right now. I think that's something that really I don't know what can be done. Uh but breeders are looking understandably. They're looking for speed. They're looking for ability. The fastest way in the world to go bankrupt would be to open a stallion barn and to have a bunch of stallions and advertise that these stallions are the most durable stallions in America. These stallions will run for years and years that they won't be that fast. But boy, they'll have all kinds of races. Nobody would breed to them, you know?
1: Uh, uh, so I want even though I, you're totally wrong, I want to uh, ask you this question. Um, the, the debate about the Triple Crown when First Racing came out and said the, the reasons, the main reason why they want to change the spacing is because they think yeah. it's safer for horses four weeks yes. versus two weeks. Um, you
2: obviously must agree with that then. 100%. 100%. The, the, the Preakness is one of the most traditional great races in American racing, right? There's only one reason why trainers run in the Kentucky Derby. Nowadays, they didn't before skip the Preakness and wait for the Belmont rather than run in a race like the Preakness that, by the way, is more important to making a stallion than winning the Belmont Stakes. And that reason is that trainers think it's not in the best interest of the horses to bring them back in two weeks. And it's not just performance best interest. It's in the overall physical best interest of their horses. I promise you, in the back of their mind, they believe that they are taking a gamble if they run their horses back in two weeks that they might not necessarily need to make. So yes, I think it's absolutely uh, should be considered as this horse safety issue when you look at the spacing of the Triple Crown.
1: Zoe, did you drink the same Kool-Aid Randy did?
0: I wrote it all down, actually. That was was very interesting. Uh, Roundtable, how many times did he run?
2: Uh, 66.
0: 66 times. And you're right. I mean, trainers do not make a dime off of day rate. They just don't. In order to make their money, their 10% of 60%, which is what they get, you have to win. And if you run your horse back in two weeks, the chances are he's going to bounce, he's not going to be at his optimum peak performance level, and you're not going to win. So you've wasted a start. Trainers don't like to run their horses unless they can win. And stats, and I think a trainer told me a long time ago, the worst thing to happen was um, the DRF. Putting in the percentage, the win yes. percentage in in the form, and that means trainers that like to run their horses into shape, give them a couple of starts, were basically being crossed off the list because they won at ten percent when they're perfectly good trainers, but the percentage is not high enough. So not only are they worried about winning, they're worried about the percentage. And people look at this. People want to have their horses with a high percentage trainer, which means each run, be it every month or every six weeks has to count and they have to win. And the thinking nowadays is less is more. And it's it's been tried and proven over the course of the last few years.
2: But the question Bill has and the point I made, Zoe, what's your opinion on this? I mean, yes, trainers believe that the performance of their horses will be better with more time in between races. But do you think they believe that in running horses more frequently, they're gambling with their tempting fate that something untoward might happen to the horse if he runs more frequently or she.
0: No, I'm not buying into that. I'm buying into the fact that most trainers that I have to deal with and that I know are not trying to squeeze an extra race out that the horse or not going to because they're worried the horse is going to break down. I'm not buying into that. That horse won't be in the barn. I'm buying into the fact they wanna have their horse ready to run and run its best race, which is why they need the spacing and the time. I don't know too many people that are saying, oh, I can't run back in two weeks because I think my horse is gonna break down. I I don't know anyone that thinks that.
2: No, but in my opinion, and this is from talking to many trainers, they don't always necessarily admit it publicly because so many of them train for breeders. And if you say that horses are more fragile than they used to be, in effect, you're indicting the breeding industry for breeding horses that are not as sound as they used to be. Now, there's some other things involved. You know, what do they do to horses before sales, right? The surgical intervention sometimes with horses before they send them to sale. There are a lot of other things that go into that. But I promise you, trainers, the vast majority that I've talked to believe that today's racehorses are more fragile and more susceptible to injury than the horses were of yesteryear. And I think that plays into it. I really do.
0: Sure. I mean, and they are. I mean, they're definitely more fragile, for sure.
1: Randy, it was one thing to keep in mind. You don't even need to comment on this, but you're talking about, you mentioned um, Woody Stevens. Um, uh, I think you might've mentioned Chad Brown, Flightline. Those are those type of horses that uh, fall into that category are what one half of one percent of all the horses that run if you own a five thousand dollar claimer you have to run those horses as much as possible because otherwise you are going to get crushed I, I mean you need to make you, know, you want to make 15 16 starts a year because uh if you you know Flightline can race three times a year because he's worth a zillion dollars as a as a stallion but if you're some little guy um who owns a bowling alley outside of parks and you know has a five claimer you can't afford not to run these horses as, as really as often every time that $7500 claiming race comes up in the book. You really have to or else you're going to go
2: you're going to go broke. That's one of the real dilemmas and real quandaries right now in the uh, in the racehorse business when you see all these injuries. Exactly. TD and Riders Room, meanwhile, is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. We'll be talking in a minute about the races on Saturday at Parks Racing in Philadelphia. One of those races is a turf sprint called the Turf Monster, in which Christophe Clement is running a filly, Roses for Deborah, who has a sensational record. She's a perfect eight for eight in turf and synthetic races, and she'll be running against the boys for the first time in that turf monster, which has always been a pretty good prep for the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. reason I'm bringing this up, Roses for Deborah, is a Pennsylvania bred. So could we be looking at a scenario where for the second year in a row, a Pennsylvania bred filly could go on and win the Breeders' Cup turf sprint? Another Pennsylvania bred news dollarization won the light the few stakes at Pimlico. A half hour before that, Witty won the Ben Cat stakes and at Aqueduct on Thursday. in allowance went to the West Point thoroughbred owned Pennsylvania bred. Don't look back at all. And don't forget when we talk about the races Saturday at Parks Racing, the big races, right? The, the Pennsylvania Derby, the Cotillion. There are also those two PA bred, PA sired Stallion Series races at Parks on Saturday for two year olds each with a purse of $150,000. For more about breeding in Pennsylvania, email pabreeder at gmail.com. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA sire, PA
3: bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day. has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a
2: $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabred.com. And now for this week's fastest horse of the week brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm. Question, who is the leading sire of two-year-olds in 2023? That would be Zoe. Constitution. You've got it. You've got it. Fast Sires for 1,000. Zoe comes (laughs) up with the answer. Constitution, 14 winners who have earned over $1.3 million two-year-olds so far this year. He's also the number one Kentucky sire, Kentucky sire, in this category. You look at the number of two-year-old starters compared to two-year-old winners, he's at 47%. And over this past week at Keeneland, Zoe knows this, he's had yearling sale for 1.3 million, 900,000, 850,000 and more. It's important that Constitution is the leading stallion son of Tappet, and even more important in this case, that he stands stud at Star Farm. Now, the fastest horse of the week, no surprise, we've talked about him already. Master of the Seas, the winner of the Woodbine Mile with a buyer speed figure of 104. Now, one year ago Saturday, Modern Games won the Woodbine Mile with a buyer speed figure of 112. But as we said, Master of the Seas looked dominant in that win in the Woodbine Mile, and he is this week's fastest horse of the week. the TD and writers room also brought to you by the green group a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry they're the sponsor of course of the green group guest of the week for more information you can go to www.greenco.com
1: welcome in now the green group guest of the week and it's a special one this week and i think it'll tug at your heartstrings. it's wayne yost and he is a co-owner of the horse carson's run who won the summer stakes grade one summer stakes last saturday at woodbine so let me briefly first tell the story and then we can have uh, wade talk more about it as you see in his back in the background over his left shoulder is his son carson carson has wolf-hirschhorn syndrome i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly and the reason why people in racing might be familiar with that is cuz that is also the syndrome or affliction that cody dorman has that Cody Dorman, of course, is the young man, the horse Cody's Wish is named after. Wade went to the United States Military Academy with Terry Finley, the head of West Point Thoroughbreds. They stayed friends over the years. They talked a lot about Carson and his condition. And Terry said, I'm going to name a horse after Carson someday. It all came together this year. They named Carson's Run after Carson. And lo and behold, they didn't name just any horse carson's run they named a real good horse a grade one winner who'll be headed now to the breeders cup juvenile and we we'll welcome in now wayne yost and Wade, generally you know what has this been like for your family i i can't imagine how good it must feel to have some good news and a positive story uh, yeah, come I mean, out it's of all this
3: has been emotional as i already started my voice breaks right now uh we we just want to do something for carson um he's never walked uh and uh this is an opportunity to um, give him some focus, give him some limelight. You know, we have four children. And um, the other three were really good athletes, or are really good athletes. They're all grown now. But uh, he was always going and with us to their events to um, uh, as they competed in the various sports and was always in the background. Um, Yet, yeah, he's always been uh, one of our focuses. Yeah, and so we just... Terry and I have been talking for over a decade about this, um, the possibility of, of doing something in his honor. And um, the, the timing was just right with, with what was going on this year with a variety of things. Carson uh, just turned 31. Uh, uh, he wasn't supposed to be with us and, and uh, supposed to have passed early in life. But uh, mainly because uh, I'll give all the love to his mother, uh, who has constantly taking care of him as uh, I completed my military career, as I've gone into business. And um, we've just been very fortunate that he is who he is living in his own little world. Um, As you can see right now, he just, he's happy, uh, relatively healthy and uh, exceeded all our expectations. But we just, uh, it was one of those things where like, okay, let's give him some limelight. Um, And it was more of uh, just living vicariously through something an animal uh, that can you know actually run um he's been confined to a wheelchair since day one and um it's uh just a, a phenomenal thing that terry and, and west point thoroughbreds has done for us um and the fact that carson's run has had the successes he has had to date uh is uh, t- just an added uh, smile on her face. It, it just makes us happy that uh, we can live vicariously uh, through it this way. And Carson gets to um, experience something uh, at least visually that he could, can't do physically. Uh, and so that's where we're at with it right now.
2: Yeah. Wade. sort of like Cody's wish. It seems like there's something else at play here, you know, I mean it, it to have, Two situations like this and two really, really good horses is just flabbergasting. One of the real coincidences here that I was reading is that you and Terry had made the decision about Carson's run even before the Cody's Wish story came to pass. Can you talk about that a little bit and then what it was like knowing this was in the pipeline to then watch Cody Dorman and Cody's Wish at the Breeders' Cup and some of those other races?
3: Yes. It It. it um, like I said, Terry and I have been talking about this for some years, but uh, we were both at West Point uh, back in the end of February, beginning of March uh, for a funeral of one of our classmates who passed. And and that's when Terry said, you know what, we're not getting any younger. We need to make this happen. Um, so I said, all right, we're all in. Let's do it. Um, and lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, ago, he called me up and said, I think I have the right horse. Uh, and I said, let's, let's go for it. And he made sure that we decided to call it Carson's run. So that was in late March. Um, and Carson and I were home by ourselves, uh, the day of the Kentucky Derby. And, uh, at that point I didn't know about, uh, Cody and Cody's wish, but as we were sitting there, just Carson and I in front of the TV, uh, watching, you know, one of the, the build up to the, uh, to the final race, I think it was the ninth race of the Kentucky Derby. And, they started doing the special about Cody. And as soon as they showed him, uh, there's no doubt in my mind before anything was even said that he's got four P minus as well. And uh, they went forward and talked about it. And um, it was emotional for me to watch that uh, uh, on top of everything else. And then, um, you know, then uh, later that day, uh, Terry and I talked and I was like, I, you know, I, I'm glad we're doing this, but I didn't want to take any of the, the the special circumstance away from Cody and his family and and how well Cody's wish is done. And I just was um, I was unsure that we were doing the right thing at that point. And Terry said, no, uh, you can't take anything away from Cody and you can't take anything away from Carson. So we're doing this. Um, and then evidently, I didn't know that um, uh, Kelly, uh, Cody's father, um uh, and Terry had crossed paths at some point. I don't know how good of friends they are, but uh, they reached out to Terry and, and um, said we'd like to get together with with Carson and his family. So we've been talking via text. We've been congratulating each other. Uh, I look forward to them. I think the next race is on the 30th of this month. Um, it sounds like we mo- may both uh, both horses may be at the Breeders' Cup. If so, we'd love to get together with them. We'll, we'll talk about it after we get through some more races here. Um, it's it's good that it's out on the West Coast for us, um, given that we live in Washington State. It may still be tough. Carson has a lot of uh, uh, issues, one of which is a very low immune system. So with everything going on right now, with all the viruses going on in the world, it may be tough to get him down there. Um, but we'll see. But We're hopeful, and we'll continue to talk to Cody and his family, and and that would be, uh, just that would be the epitome of all this, is is to see those two together, and then watch the horses run, uh, in the same weekend.
0: Wade, two beautiful stories, and the one thing we love about horse racing is the stories and the people that it encompasses. So I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully I'll get to meet you at Breeders' Cup uh, along with the Dorman family. But I, w- I want to take you back. You're a guy who firmly wears his heart on his sleeve. How was that very first win for you, watching a horse named for your son? You just wanted to honor him with a name to be a four-legged athlete. How was that feeling for you watching him cross the finish line? Not once, but twice, but three times. Like, that's got to be pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, now you're going to see my heart on my sleeve again. Um, Just seeing his name in print and seeing the horse trot out um, and and, uh, the manner in which they did, uh, I don't know what I was expecting uh, as, as uh, my wife and, and Carson were sitting here um, waiting for it to start, and they got in the gate. And uh, I'll say I was kind of numb at first because you're like, okay, this is this has already exceeded all our expectations. And then the manner of which um, Carson run, has run the race, and then to see it repeated, you know, for the other two, especially this last one where, you know, Carson's always in the back of the pack. Carson's always the one who's just there with everybody else. And uh, to see him slingshot around the corner and, and, you know, come back and and, uh, be in the winner's circle, be in second place, be just competing uh, continues to be overwhelming for me personally. Um, But it's uh, it was kind of alluded to earlier, you know, I I do believe um, animals understand in some way, shape, or form, you, you've seen some of the pictures of Carson and his dogs. They're not, they're not, uh, they weren't bred to be helping dogs. They're just family pets. But all four labs we've had uh, have been uh, special to him. They know he's special. They take the time to, like the the one we have now, Barley, um, She she won't really cuddle with anybody but Carson and she'll get right up on the couch and she'll cuddle with him uh they know there's something special and i i think it is the same with horses uh you can say like uh, in our case Carson's run and Carson have not met i know in Cody's case you know Cody and Cody's wish uh, that was really instigated by Cody's wish um but i think there's still something there about they know they have a special purpose in life and they're doing it for somebody and so it doesn't surprise me when it's all said and done that both these horses are doing what they're doing on, on the track um I am very anxious to see, you know, wheel Carson up next to uh, Carson's run and to see what the reaction of the horse is. Um, my, my gut says it's going to be a very affectionate, different from all the other different people that he's ever been close to, to Carson. Um, and, and I can't explain it. No proof of it. I've just seen what our animals have done uh, to Carson and how they've reacted to him and how they've cared for him.
1: Um, and, and I
3: think it's the same In horses as in many other animals.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you're right about that, Wade. I I think it's going to be wonderful when uh, Carson meets his namesake. Um, When I wrote the story originally about this for the Thoroughbred Daily News, I asked, uh, does Carson, is he at all aware of what's going on? Is he aware that there's this horse out there named after him? This is where his mother and I kind
3: of differ. Um, She's around him day in and day out. She has been since day one. And I saw early on where uh, he doesn't like crowds, um, which makes another thing about going to the track race a little bit difficult, but we'll figure something out. Um, even when he was really young, six months old, a year old, um, we could be in a room of people. And as soon as he heard his mother's voice, he would focus on it. Um, you know, does he understand certain things? Uh, probably. He does have the mental capacity. I think he maxed out at about a one-year-old. Um, so he doesn't walk, he doesn't talk, in his communication, he'll hug. Uh, He's got a high pain threshold, so we don't really know when he's hurting. But um, it was uh, very interesting when the first time uh, Kim, uh, his mother, put him up in front of the TV to watch the very first race, he was just kind of sitting there, kind of looking at the TV, and then the combination of the, the announcers with the commotion of the horses moving but it seemed like every time they said Carson's run he seemed to focus more and get a little bit more animated so i'm not going to discount uh what his mother says kim says that he understands who he is he understands what his name is he does understand you know uh or or we think he understands who his you know family is at least uh, from a hugging standpoint but any one of you when you meet him he'll give you a big old hug if you get too close and pushing a headlock <laughs> out of so <laughs> Mothers know best. I'm not going to discount his ability to at least understand some basics. Um, but I do believe he knows who uh, his family members are and um, his name when it's, when it's spoken.
2: On the scale of importance way, this is pretty far down the pecking order, but I'm, I'm just curious. I know you've, your friendship with Terry Finlay, have you been an avid follower of horse racing or are you now just really getting an introduction into this particular world? <laughs>
3: I i'm just now getting an introduction I, I will say that i've followed terry um since the beginning of west point thoroughbreds when he first got involved and he, and he left the military um mainly in the beginning because he made a point to to make sure that we were okay um he would ask every time i saw him you know how's carson and a lot of our friends um uh, were very apprehensive in the beginning because he wasn't supposed to be with us. So every time, especially in military, you see everybody maybe once a year, army, Navy game, football game, or some event, some reunion, but you don't see him that much because you're all over the world. Um, and so when I'd see him, uh, there was just apprehension, you know, do I ask about Carson? Uh, wonder if he's still alive? Never with Terry. Terry was always, that was the first thing he asked. He pulled me aside. And we have this emotional aspect um, and, that, and that's priceless. So I started really following them more closely. And, and um, uh, uh, there's another thing that our class does. Terry's part of the board, the Johnny the Johnny Mac Foundation, um, uh, helping families uh, that have lost their loved ones in combat, um, make sure they get to school if they want to go to school, college. And uh, so Terry, I don't know, Several years ago, one of the Houston uh, galas, um, they did a, Terry and West Point Thoroughbreds put up a, a you know, fundraiser to have partial ownership in a horse and they just, people bid on it. And it really got um, a lot of good, not just publicity, but money for the cause. And so the next year, um, as our kids, our other kids who got scholarships for college in one way or another, and the money we had saved up, uh, Kim and I decided that we were going to give as much of that money to the Johnny Mac as we could. It was supposed to be for college education and uh, our kids earned their own way through college. Uh, so the money still should go that. And it's a great cause uh, that, um, you know, our classmates have done. And so uh, our first delving into horse racing was uh, after the Dallas one uh, five years ago, four years ago, before COVID, um, where we went ahead and used it to, uh some of that college money to to bid on uh one of those fundraiser items of, of being a partial owner and a horse. And so we were with Cali Dude uh when uh, you guys had that. And unfortunately for for uh Cali Dude it, it his racing career ended short. But um it was still fun to exciting to be a part of and starting to understand that. And um uh, then as this opportunity came up you know again the spring where we got serious about it i was like <laughs> yeah let's do it again see what happens
0: for those that that may not know the whole story how did yourself and terry meet did you meet at west point did you meet in the army and do you have any really good terry stories that you maybe should or shouldn't tell
3: <laughs> but uh- <laughs> Terry and I met, uh, early in our West Point career in July. We had to report in as new cadets, July 1st, 1982. And wow. we met during that first week. And, uh, we, we've been, he's a likable guy It he's hard not to like. Um, so we were friends and then we were in, uh, companies, uh, our second, third and fourth year at the Academy, uh, that were closely aligned. And, um, Without getting into too much detail, uh, we spent a lot of time um, walking what we call area tours for doing things we shouldn't have done uh, in the military. So uh, 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 if he wants to expand on that, I'll let him. Uh, I will say I spent a lot more time on the area than he did, but we had some good quality time together.
1: Wait, it's touching to see how emotional you get about this subject, but don't let anybody fool anybody. You got to be a really tough guy. Not only did you go through West Point, but you fought for our country. And uh, there's been, uh, when West Point itself wrote a story about this, they mentioned the fact that um, there's been some link to people who fought in the Gulf War having children with some sort of disabilities. Um, Are you of the belief that perhaps your your time in in the military and the Gulf War in particular (laughs) could have somehow? Uh, uh, The bottom line is we don't know. Um, But
3: uh, yes, the possibility exists. I know it did. It definitely did for some that have been diagnosed. Um, By and large, this chromosomal disorder is, is overwhelmingly one of the two parents uh, is carrying their chromosomes, uh, not the way God had intended, but it just hadn't affected them until they, they, uh, you know, have offspring that didn't happen with my wife and I. Um, so we don't know. And we were, uh, Carson was doing studies. We were doing studies for three years after he was born. And we got to a point where the studies got to be too frequent, the blood that they drew, the tests that they did. And we finally just decided that, um, it was time to move on with life and not put him through any more of that rigor. Uh, nothing was ever conclusive for us. But, yes, there's there's a lot of things. And I'll, before I say this, there's nothing I would change in my military career. I'd do it all over again uh, exactly the same way. You can't predict these things, um, whether some people say God's will or it just happens. Uh, our situation has proven uh, over time The fact that we still have him with us and the fact that he's had definitely the positive influence over me. But also, I know his mother and our three uh, other kids wouldn't be who they are without that today. Um, So uh, ultimately, yes, there are things that we do in the military and whether it is some of the preventive drugs that we take or. In, in our case, you know, my unit was in oil fields for an extended period of time, burning oil fields an extended period of time. But as we hear about burn pits today and we're finding out more things, uh, you know, Agent Orange with my dad in Vietnam before that. Uh, constantly, the the government, and the military do the best they can at trying to protect the warfighters. And it's only after the fact that you find out things that may or may not have happened and uh, you deal with them. In our case. Uh, We've been so fortunate with uh, who, where we are and being in the military and being in, uh, having the benefits we have through our medical system and that the military has provided that we're never going to have to worry about his care. There's a lot of people out there that do, and it, it's, um, we know it's difficult for them to deal with, with, with us. We haven't had to worry about it, and as long as Carson's alive, he will be on my military uh, benefits um and so we're being taken care of and, and life is good.
0: Yeah, I, I just wanna say thank you so much for your service. I'm really looking forward to meeting yourself, Wade, and hopefully Carson at mm-hmm. Breeders Cup.
1: Yeah, we gotta get him out to one of your races. Well, we certainly hope that you can make the Breeders Cup. What a touching story. And um it's it's so neat, not only that you had the horse named after your son, but as Randy mentioned, I mean, what are the odds that this happens twice? within a matter of a couple of years with the, the Cody's wish story as well. Uh, Wade, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I don't know who I'm going to be betting on in the Breeders' Cup juvenile turf, but I know who I'm going to be rooting for. Carson's run. How can you not? Wade, thanks so much for your time today. And best of luck. Thank going you forward all. With both the horse and Carson.
2: And as this week's Green Group Guest of the Week, Wade Yost will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. For more information on how you can save money on your taxes, especially if you're involved in this resource business, you can log on to www.greenco.com.
4: Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. Like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel, his DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies has produced positive results for his clientele and has made The Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round, there's never been a better
2: time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky breeds, Breed them, raise them, race them. We all win.
0: Three Kentucky Breads broke their maidens last week in Europe, including Talentuoso, a son of Omaha Beach, who won on debut at St. Cloud. Blame and Temple City also had winners in France and Ireland. There are two more Kentucky Breads heading to the Breeders' Cup after this weekend. They are, we already talked to the connections of Carson's Run. Carson's Run won the Grade One $500,000 summer stakes to earn a berth into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, and she feels pretty hit the winner's circle to win the Grade 1 $500,000 Natal Mistakes to earn her way into the Juvenile Phillies Turf. That was Cherie DeVoe's very first Grade 1 winner. Kentucky bred, breed them, raise them, race them all over the world.
1: Well, this weekend, all eyes will be on parks uh, just outside Philadelphia in the town of Ben Salem Township. And it's their big day of the year. Huge card atop by the Grade One Cotillion for three year old Phillies, one million, and of course, the Grade One Pennsylvania Derby. And as Randy mentioned earlier, uh, Pennsylvania Breads will also be in action. There's two races for two year old PA sired PA Bread uh, horses Prince the Prince Lucky Stakes and the Imply Stakes, both worth 150,000. Also, PA Breads will be running in the Plum Pretty. And the alphabet soup. Guys, um, you know, always fun to see the Pennsylvania Derby. It's the last uh, big race of, on the calendar uh, for three year olds coming into the Breeders Cup. But the race I'm really excited about among the two is the cotillion. Um, it, it's the better race of the two on paper. Uh, pretty mischievous. Uh, somebody, I don't think she gets quite the credit she deserves. She's won three straight grade one races, will be going for her fourth in a row in the cotillion. I imagine she'll be the favorite in there for Brendan Walsh, but uh, by no means a walkover for, for her. Um, my pick is going to be uh, the Cowbreds, Zoe. How about Ceiling oh. Crusher after a big win in the Tory Pine Stakes going wire to wire for Doug O'Neill and Edwin Maldonado? We'll see what happens in the cotillion. Randy, your thoughts on that one? Then we'll go to the Pennsylvania Derby.
2: You stole the page right out of my playbook. I, I think Pretty Mischievous, from a percentage standpoint, is probably the slightly more likely winner. But when you look at what the odds are probably going to be, I would guess Pretty Mischievous will be the favorite. I'd be pretty confident she would be a shorter price than Ceiling Crusher. And with sh- with Ceiling Crusher's speed Uh, I think she'll probably control the pace. I think she'll outrun Hoosier Philly to the lead. There's one outside post position local Philly, Majestic Creed, who has shown some speed. But I think Ceiling Crusher with inside position on her is probably going to set the pace. And I think it's going to come down to those two, to the wire. Ceiling Crusher and Pretty Mischievous in what could be a pretty entertaining race.
0: I, I think I'm in agreement with you. Pretty mischievous. I feel like her better races is around two turns. She's just a really, really good filly who's won grade one races going one turn and two turns. I mean, it's not often you see one wins the test going seven, eight, and also the Kentucky Oaks. So she's definitely the one to beat Ceiling Crusher. I mean, she's by Mr. Big out of an Indian Charlie Mare. She's won five of six by a combined over 40 lengths, guys. I mean, she just runs off and hides. I think if they were drawn the other way around, I would actually pick who's your Philly on top. It's just a question of who's going to get to the lead. It looks like who's your Philly is a need the lead type. I'm going to take that Charlestown Oaks race and just completely toss it in the bin. Sometimes what happens at Charlestown stays at Charlestown. <laughs> so I actually am going to pick who's your Philly on top of all of them. And we'll just see how that works for me. I'm going to bet her as well. I think she's been training really, really well.
2: One more thing, when you look at Pretty Mischievous Test Stakes win, obviously there's a huge asterisk to yes. that uh, because she was going to be soundly beaten by Maple Leaf Mel. And even if you take Maple Leaf Mel completely out of the equation, it still wasn't one of Pretty Mischievous' better races. Correct. I think the reason is because they were trying to keep her closer to Maple Leaf Mel during the early running of the race because she was shortening up a bit. And 44 and change for a half mile being just four lengths off that pace. I think that's faster than Pretty Mischievous really wants to run early. I think she was rushed a little bit more than she likes. So I do also, like you said, Zoe, I expect her to be better around two turns when she can have a bit of a more reasonable early pace.
0: And maybe if they just leave her alone, because even in her works, when you watch her in the morning, she's so slow the opening quarter, even going five-eighths and one one but she finishes like a blast. If they just leave her alone... Let her lollygag back there and try not to change her style too much. Perhaps that might work as well. Uh, She's certainly going to have some pace to run at, that is for sure. It's going to be wickedly fast up front.
1: Pennsylvania Derby, one million for three-year-olds. The morning line maker has reincarnated as the three-to-one favorite. Bob Baffert's won this race four times. I think they got it wrong. I think Saudi Crown will be the favorite. Um, those big buyer yeah. numbers, Randy. Uh, I think it just jump off the page with Saudi Crown. Uh, two heartbreaking losses by a nose in a row in the Jim Dandy and the Dwyer. 105 and 106 buyer for Brad Cox. I'm going to pick against that. Both those horses, though. I'm going to give magic tap a chance in here. Um, big jump up in class from non winners of one, uh, into a grade one, one million dollar race. But, uh, uh, son of Tappet, I think is on the improve. Uh, is, I think is going to need to run faster, but I think he will. My one knock on Saudi crown is he got a pretty easy trip last time out in the Jim Dandy went to the half and 48 as a horse was on the lead so um, I don't think he's going to get that kind of trip in this race Uh, I think Gilmore will uh, deserve some attention for Brendan Walsh as well but uh how about getting magic tap and Steve Asmussen into the winner's circle for Tyler Gafflione riding
2: Randy Zoe for the record Bill and I did not collaborate before we came on the air here (laughs) on on this particular race I also think Saudi crown is going to be the favorite I also think Saudi crown is the kind of favorite that you have to try to bet against uh, when you look at his last race, he's obviously got a ton of speed. He showed that the race before in the Dwyer. But he was in a five-horse field in the Jim Dandy against Forte, Angel of Empire, Hit Show. Uh, there was another one in there whose name escapes me right now uh, that who has no speed. So he was going to be in complete control of the early pace, and he was. He had a very easy time of it early. And there are other speed horses in this race that can at least – keep him honest, and push him a lot more than he was pushed in the Jim Danny. You've got Scotland. You've got uh, Reincarnate on the outside who bounced back in a big way when he won the Los Al Derby. Uh, in a race, by the way, that I think is better, since he was coming off a layoff from the Kentucky Derby, than that 91 buyer speed figure would indicate. But given that I got to play against Saudi Crown, Zoe, I think Magic Tap is uh, a very live horse, and I think he'll be, what, nine to two, maybe?
0: Yeah, he'll be live for sure. Gaffion going to ride for Steve Asmussen. I'm more intrigued by Scotland of all of them. I'm going to toss out the Travers. He looked like he absolutely hated the mud that day. He's trained very well. You know, the knock against him could be, oh, well, he won the Curlin stakes, the restricted stakes, Um But it was a very good race for him it seemed like he came alive on a dry track that day A 99 by a speed figure for scotland he can come from off the pace this is a race that's going to be loaded you got reincarnate on the outside they're all going to be gunning bob baffert doesn't take back in grade one races that is for sure you can bet your bottom dollar on that but scotland one of his best races visually was his actual debut when he broke his maiden and he came from way way off the pace he can eat the dirt, and he can sit back and wait just a little bit. And that's what I'm hoping they're going to do with him, trying to change things up with Scotland for trainer Bill Mott.
2: Now Bill, there's one other race on Saturday that I want to mention on the card that has an interesting uh, corollary storyline. Gunite, and that's the, no doubt, correct? That's it. That's the Parks Dirt Mile where Gunite shows up in that race. They could have run Gunite in the next Saturday, a week from Parks, in the Vossberg at Seven Furlongs, because Elite Power is apparently skipping that race, and he would be a pretty solid favorite in there. The Akak, a one-turn mile at Churchill Downs, where Asmussen is primarily stabled, he would have been a solid favorite in there. But instead, they chose to run him in, in the Parks Dirt Mile around two turns. And I texted Steve, and I said, what was the thinking behind pointing for this race instead of the other two? And he said he thinks this will be a better prep for Gunite. What does that tell you? That tells you that Echo Zulu is almost certainly being pointed for the Breeders' Cup sprint against the boys since she is the fastest horse in America right now. And that Gunite, if Echo Zulu, if all goes well with Echo Zulu between now and then, also being owned by Ron Winchell in part, would then be rerouted to maybe run against Cody's Wish again in the uh, dirt mile. It's a nice problem to have, to have two good horses like that. But that's why I think it's so interesting that Gunite shows up in this two-turn race at Parks.
0: Did he say that, or are you reading between the lines?
2: Well, well, he, he told me that, uh, I said, so does this mean that that Gunite is being pointed for the dirt mile, uh, assuming it all goes well between now and then, and assuming the sprint looks you know, comparable? And he said that has a lot to do with Echo Zulu. Mm, interesting.
1: Interesting. Zoe, what's the latest on the uh, Women's Conference?
0: Well, it's still going on, and we still have tickets. The Women's Conference, it's the Women's Summit to be held at Santa Anita the 27th through the 29th. Don't forget it's opening day at Santa Anita for their fall meet on September the 29th. And we do have a con- uh, keynote speaker, Reagan Cannon. She is an international leadership speaker and coach. We'll have three panels going on, State of the Industry, Running the Show, and Looking Forward. And some of our panelists include Shannon Arvin from Keeneland, Brittany Urdon, Lisa Lazarus, Joy Garner from Naira, Amy Zimmerman, Claudia Sparrow, and Anne Hall from the DMTC. So do get your tickets. You can find them online at the Women's Summit. September 27th through the 29th. It'll be a fun day indeed.
1: And guys, this week, the racing industry lost a giant in Brereton Jones at the age of 84. What a rich life he had. Former governor of Kentucky, the founder of Airdrie Stud. And we uh, send our condolences to the Jones family. A big loss for horse racing.
2: Yeah, and when I was doing my, I you know, was reading about uh, about Governor Jones. Uh, we already you know, obviously knew a lot about him from the horse business and his winning, you know, winning two Kentucky Oaks and things like that. Uh, what I, I guess I didn't realize until reading the uh, news articles is that when he was governor of Kentucky, uh, to show you the integrity that the guy has, I mean, one of his uh, campaign promises was to clean up. Um, government in Kentucky apparently it had been beset by some corruption scandals before he took office and he did exactly that that's one of his legacies is to is to really reinforce ethics in government in the state of Kentucky and he also put through a new law that uh previously governors were only allowed to serve one term and that's it term limits one term only and he put in uh, a new law that uh, spearheaded it that enabled uh existing governors to run for re-election and he exempted himself mm. while doing that which again goes to show you the kind of integrity that he has and from talking to people in the horse business he ran Airdrie stud and he ran his uh, his horse pursuits with the same sort of integrity Zoe that he showed his governor
0: he was a true champion for the equine industry in all shapes and forms. He leaves behind his son Brett, his wife Libby, and Lucy, his daughter, as well. Just a very classy guy, ran Airdrie Stud for years. And the one thing that he really did with Airdrie was make their own stallions, including breeding a lot of their mares. If you consider recently what he's done with Collected breeding, you know, a lot of his really good mares. Believe You Can was bred to Collected. That was one of his first mares. And one of his best mottos that he has is if you believe you can, you can. And that was Brereton Jones in an absolute nutshell. He was also very instrumental in forming Keep, which was the Kentucky Equine Education Project. I know several graduates out of that. And he used Keep to actually go forward and help the industry. He was like a key part of getting the historical horse racing machines through all of the hoops they had to jump. And we've seen what that's done to the state of Kentucky as far as purses being doubled. Brereton Jones was a massive force in that. So, I mean, basically just a true, true champion and a great guy, he certainly was. I do want to remind you that the TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by XBTV. Speedboat Beach is our XBTV Work of the Week. We have not seen him since winning the Cecil B. DeMille Stakes at Santa Anita last fall, and he turned in a bullet. Five furlong work in 59 seconds flat at Santa Anita on Saturday. The best of 23 works on the day. It's his third consecutive five furlong work, each one faster than the last. Bob Baffert said he's not picked out his next start. The three-year-old has won three of four lifetime starts, including a track record setting debut performance last September at Del Mar. We'll be right back after this message.
4: All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life make new friends, and compete at the highest level of Thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com.
2: The TDN Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. We've already detailed the remarkable, heartwarming story of Carson's run and Carson Yost, owned, of course, by West Point Thoroughbreds and Terry Finley. Uh, The details, Carson's run is a $170,000 acquisition by West Point. He was purchased at the OBS April sale. The Summer Stakes win at Woodbine was his first grade one triumph. It was a win in your end race for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And it was the third time West Point has won the Summer Stakes since 2017 and the fourth straight week that West Point has won a graded stakes race. Just like Zoe... West Point is wrapping up its shopping at the September sales at Keeneland. You can go to westpointtv.com and click on the Available Horses tab to see which of their 2023 purchases are still available. And don't forget, because I'm not going to let you forget, joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie. Right, Bill? Absolutely. West Point will vault you into the winner
1: circle as well, won't they, Randy? Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabman. I want to thank our Green Group Guests of the Week, Wayne Yost. Also, our editors, Leo Laraca, Nathan Wilkinson, and our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony Laraca. Thanks for joining us this week on the TDN Writers Room. Catch up with you again soon.